Well, welcome. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, such an honor, super fun to see your faces every Sunday morning. Welcome to Sunday number three. So uh, we obviously, if you've just been here this morning, you're only three Sundays in. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, good to see you again. But um, my name is Ryan. I'll say this again, if you, but uh, people call me Riz. It's my nickname. I go by it. Even if I haven't met you yet, you can totally call me Riz. It's totally good. Um, but that's my name. And my wife is Zoe. She leads worship here. Super. She's amazing. She's awesome. But that's her. And we have two kids in the kids ministry too. And uh, man, we're just blessed and honored to be a part of this work that God is doing in the city of Honolulu. And uh, if you've been here, you know we've been in the book of Mark. And so like you get to turn with me to Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20 is our text this morning. Mark 1, 14 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's Bibles on the back tables out there, and I'm going to be teaching out of the um, New Living Translation. And so if you, I have it on the screen, but also if you want uh, a New Living Translation, they're back on the tables as well. But let's read Mark 1, 14 through 20 together. <clears throat> kind of jumping right into where we left off last week. It says, later on, after John was arrested... Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God had come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, John, James and John, in a boat, repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the spot that you have us in Thank you, Lord, that you desire to speak to us uniquely, that your word is living and it's active. And God, we want to receive from it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd have your way, that you would even soften our hearts to receive your word, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying to us. And God, would today's text be... Be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We ask, Lord, that it would equip us for the work of the ministry as saints, as sons and daughters of the King. That you would reveal to us what your kingdom is and what that means and how we're to be a part of it. How we're to participate in the building of your kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, would you minister these truths to us with power from on high? Pray that I would be your mouthpiece for your glory and your namesake, that you would get all the credit for what happens here today. And Lord, we want to see your kingdom come in Honolulu as it is in heaven. We want to see that, Lord. We want to be a part of the building of your kingdom in this city for your namesake, that men and women, young and old, would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that would be restored and redeemed and set free. And welcomed into your kingdom. And so God, as a church, just at the very start, we ask, Lord, that this would be foundational to how we operate in your kingdom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So there's, there's two things happening in our text this morning. One is verses 14 and 15, and it talks about Jesus' message or his kingdom that's coming that he's speaking of. And then there's Mark 1, 16 through 20, which is the calling of the first disciples. And the reason why we're kind of doing it together is I believe that it, it sinks well. It, it goes hand in hand. The king talking about the kingdom and about how the, the servants of the kingdom or the calling of the first servants into this kingdom. And so the first two verses we're going to look at this morning are verses 14 and 15. It's when Jesus, later on, speaking after the baptism, after he was wandering in the wilderness, tempted by the devil, which we talked about last week, later on, a short time after that, it says that John was arrested. This was the same John, John the Baptist, that was the baptizer in the wilderness, the forerunner of Christ. We're going to learn all about that in Mark chapter 6, which will probably be a few months from now, because we go real slow through uh, our teaching on Sunday mornings. But we're going to learn all about how John was arrested and ultimately killed for what he was doing. But this is our context here. Later on, after the baptism of Jesus, after the wilderness, John was arrested, and it says that Jesus went into Galilee. So to remind us of where Jesus was last week and the week before, so first he was at the Jordan River uh, in northern Israel, and John the Baptist was baptizing multitudes, coming, coming near and far throughout Israel to be baptized. And then... After that baptism happened, uh, two weeks ago we studied this, then Jesus, the Spirit compelled Jesus into the wilderness, into the Judean wilderness. So this is still in Israel, in northern Israel, but it's in the desert. And so now Jesus comes back into Galilee. Galilee is the region in northern Israel where the Sea of Galilee is. The Sea of Galilee isn't really a sea. If you've been to Israel, you'll find it's like a small lake. Uh, it's about seven miles, you know, long by 12 miles wide. Uh, it's, you know, it's fairly big. And if there's any, you know, fog or mist, you can't see the other side. But it's not a sea necessarily, even though it's called that. It's more like a lake in northern Israel. But this Galilee region is, is really important to understand that two-thirds of Jesus' ministry was, was set in this place. And this isn't a, a large place. It's probably like the size of Oahu is the whole region of Galilee, right? Like, 30 by 40 miles or something. This is the whole region of Galilee that two-thirds of Jesus' ministry uh, we, we see in the Gospels. Like two-thirds of the Gospels are, are speaking about this region of Galilee. And obviously, south of Galilee is the city of Jerusalem, where, where the Gospels end with the death and resurrection of our Lord. But Jesus is now back in the region of Galilee after his baptism, after the temptation in the wilderness, and he begins preaching. He begins preaching this message. And so what we see here is he's preaching the good news. And he says a few things, few things. One is that he says the, t the time that has been promised has come. He says the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is his message. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God has come near. The time has been set Jesus has come on the scene, and when he says good news, he's speaking of himself. The time is set, we learned the first week, because 800 years of biblical prophecy about the Messiah is being fulfilled. Right? The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 promised that the Messiah would come after this, this messenger, John the Baptist, came. 
And John the Baptist came and Jesus was baptized and the father spoke out of heaven. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. He defeated the devil and now he's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God coming near. And Jesus, the Messiah, is preaching this message. Repent for your sins of your sins and believe the good news. The good news. But this concept of the kingdom of God isn't just the only time Jesus speaks of it. If you were to ask, what was the main thing that Jesus spoke about or taught about? Right, if you were just following him through Galilee or through Israel, those three years of his public ministry, and you were to ask, what was Jesus' main point of everything? It would have been about the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom of God includes forgiveness of sins. It includes all these miracles. It includes all the things that God did. It's the kingdom of God going forth is the main point of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels. The kingdom of God, this idea, this theme, is mentioned more than 120 times in most translations in the Gospels alone. I mean, it was, it was something that he spoke about and taught about and showed. And it's kind of strange for us because kings and kingdoms are a little archaic, right? Because you're like, yeah, there's still a few kingdoms in the world today, but most are countries with presidents or prime ministers or, you know, even for us, it's a little archaic to be like kings and kingdoms and what are you talking about and what does this mean but back then, in first century Israel, it would have been really familiar for them, right? Because, you know, it might have been named differently, but, you know, in Egypt, the king is Pharaoh. And in Israel, Jews were very familiar with that because they were in, prison, in slavery for 400 years under Pharaoh, and God freed them part of the Red Sea, and now they're in the Promised Land. But then they would have been really familiar with the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire. And now they're under oppressive control by Rome. And the king of Rome would be the Caesar, right? Caesar of Rome. And so in first century Israel, this idea of a king and its kingdom or the kingdom coming would have been very familiar. They would have experienced a lot of kings and a lot of kingdoms actually oppressing them, taking over, putting them in slavery, being in bondage to other kings and other kingdoms. But Jesus talks about the kingdom of God coming or the kingdom of God being at hand or being near. What does that mean? So what does this mean, this kingdom of God coming? What does that, what does that mean? Well, the basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible, speaking of God's kingdom, is really just God's reign or God's rule. It means that God's reign or rule governs all things. It means that he sits on, as king on the throne of the universe, that he is the king of kings, that his kingdom and his reign govern all things. So when we speak of God's kingdom coming or the kingdom of God being at hand, it's speaking of God's rule or God's reign over the entirety of the earth. And the kingdom of God, this idea that Jesus spoke about that, that was the main point of his teaching that happens over 120 times in the Gospels, when it's referred to the kingdom of God, it, it's, it means God's kingly rule, his reign, his action, his lordship, his sovereign governance over everything. 
But it's interesting that Jesus says the kingdom is coming, or it's here, or it's about to happen. And that's interesting because we get this concept that the kingdom is here, but not yet fully completed. It's here, but not yet. There's this tension going on that Jesus kind of brings to our attention. And we see through the book of Mark, which we will see, and through the gospels, is that the kingdom of God is coming. And it's at hand, and it's being ushered in by Jesus and by his followers, and God's rule and reign is is coming into the world. But it's not completed. You know, it's not done yet. The world is still fallen. We're still having to deal with sin. There's still this tension that we live in that God's kingdom has come, but it's not yet fully here. This idea of already, but not yet. See, the idea of God's kingdom coming to this world is the idea that God is at work in the world to redeem and deliver a people, speaking of us, and then at a future time, He'll renew his people for good, forever, like when he comes back the second time. See, the kingdom of God came with Jesus in his first coming, but will be completed at his second coming. So that's what he's saying. He's on the scene now as God's son, as the promised Messiah, and the kingdom of God has come and is coming and is still happening. God's kingdom on the earth is coming and is at hand, and he's building his kingdom, and he's redeeming and he's restoring the world, but it's not yet fully completed until he comes back in all his glory, and he redeems and he sets right every wrong. Right, The book of Revelation in vivid illustration gives us a picture of this. When God comes back and there is no more tears and there's no more pain and there's no more death and he sets right. God's rule and his reign is completed at his second coming. But we live in the tension. We live in the here but not yet. So that's why when we look around us, we're like, what do you mean God's kingdom has come when I look at the news? How is God's rule and his reign in the world if all this bad stuff is still happening, right? And that's the tension we live in, that God's kingdom has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's being carried on by believers, by the church, by the universal church. God's kingdom is coming. He's he's restoring people. He's redeeming humanity. But we still live in a fallen world. And we still experience the effects of sin. Sin ultimately leading to death. We still live in a fallen, broken, hurting world. And so we're in the here, but not yet. But one day, we have hope that one day he will restore every wrong. Amen? That's a promise that we can hold to. John Piper said it this way. He says, the decisive battle against sin and Satan and sickness and death has been fought and won by the king, speaking of Jesus, in his death and resurrection, but the war is not over. Sin must be fought. Satan must be resisted. Sickness must be prayed over and groaned under. And death must be endured until the second coming of the king and the consummation of the kingdom. He describes that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet completely finished or fulfilled, so to speak. 
But this idea of how Jesus brought the kingdom would have been so foreign to any people in that time because usually when a king or a kingdom came into another land with another people, usually it was by force. But see, Jesus came in service, right? Usually when a king or a kingdom invaded a land or came to a land, it was usually met with oppression, like oppressing the people that lived in that land. But Jesus came to bring freedom to the captives. Usually the invaded people would die, right? There would be death that came with a king and a kingdom that took over a land. But Jesus came to die for the people. Do you see that? This Messiah, this King, the Son of God, this kingdom that came, this rule on earth, God's rule on earth, did not come in the form of force and oppression, but rather God's kingdom on earth comes with restoration and redemption and healing. Right? The King died for the people, our King, our King Jesus. God sent his son to die in our place to save us and to free us from the bondage of sin, right? Israel was looking for this victorious, warlike king that would come in and that would just free them of Roman oppression at the time. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for peace in the land of Israel, but God had so much more in mind. He wanted to bring peace to hearts, to all of humanity. Israel had just a very limited view of what they thought the Messiah should be like. But God sent his son to usher in the kingdom of God to save all of humanity. Amen. That's the king that we serve. That's the king that we put our trust in. And so when Jesus spoke this message of the kingdom coming or the kingdom being at hand, he was speaking of God's rule and reign coming to earth in the form of himself, in the form of God in the flesh, stepping into humanity and healing and restoring, redeeming and saving it. So then what happens as we move through our text, it brings us to another scene of Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Read with me Mark 1, verse 16 through 20. It says, one day... After that just happened, one day, Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee, and he saw Simon, or Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. So what this is, or what we will learn of what this is, is this is the calling of the first disciples. Like, right Jesus' boys, the 12 guys that would, that would walk with him, that he would teach, that he would learn from, that ultimately would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, would start with these guys. Just ordinary fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Not educated and trained religious men. There was nothing in and of themselves that, that, that made them special. They were just fishermen, and their fathers were fishermen, and their grandparents were fishermen, and they were doing the family business. 
And they were just trying to catch fish. That's it. And Jesus sees them on the Sea of Galilee. He's Simon, Peter, which Peter, the same Peter that denied Christ, but then ultimately was filled with the Holy Spirit and preached the gospel in the book of Acts and became a pillar of the church. This is Peter. This is the first meeting here. And then his brother, Andrew. And then there was two others, James and John. They were local boys. Everyone in Galilee would have known them. They, they were generational fishermen. And so this was a big deal. Jesus saw them and he called them unto himself. He said, lay down everything you're doing right now and come follow me. And then he says something kind of strange. I'll teach you how to fish for people. This is weird. They're catching fish. They're fishermen. What do you mean? This, this is weird. Jesus, you're saying, leave all that I know. Leave my family business. Leave what I'm expected to do. Put my nets down and come follow you. And you're going to teach me how to fish for people. It's kind of strange. And obviously... <clears throat> What this meant or why it was significant is the dropping of their nets meant that they were letting go of their old life to follow Jesus. They were letting go of security. They were letting go of comfort. They were letting go of their, their job, their profession. They were letting go of the means by which they supported their family. This was not an easy thing. It's not like put your pencil down for a second. It's like if you're a construction worker, like, give me your truck and your tools and your contractor's license and stop everything you're doing. You went to school for and you learned from your father about, stop all of that and come follow me. Everything they were expected to do. And obviously Jesus was using a, a metaphor or analogy to to relate to them the same way that you catch fish. I want to teach you how to communicate the good news and so that people can come under the rule and reign and kingdom of God that they might be saved. That's what he's meaning when he says, I will make you fishers of men. But what's so interesting about these Galilean fishermen is they, under, they understood a bit the significance of what it took to fish. Right, fishing is hard. It takes perseverance. It takes patience. Like some days are good and some days are not. It takes work. It takes hard work. It takes experience and patience. And so they knew in some sense what he meant by this, that in the same way that you know how to fish and you've learned how to fish, I'm going to teach you and instruct you to do the same with humanity. This is what he's saying. Why this is so significant in Jewish culture, just to give you like a snapshot real quick, is if you were a Jewish family in first century Israel, um, you would have grown up and your kids would have grown up going to synagogue, going to temple for the celebrations down in Jerusalem. I mean, your entire life was based off of the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish Bible. And your desire, what was highly esteemed in Jewish culture was that your kid, your son, would grow up and, 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 your, and your hope is that one day that they would do well in their studies, they would do well in their studies of the Hebrew scriptures enough that a rabbi, a teacher of Judaism would, would, would see how good your kid was and they would take them under their arms as their apprentice or their disciple, and they would learn what it meant to be a rabbi. And if they were good enough in that apprenticeship, that your kid would become a rabbi themselves. 
And I mean, this was like esteem. This was the Harvard, Yale doctorate program that you want for all your kids. Like you want your kids to succeed, do well, make a lot of money, be prestigious. This was the same idea that you, if you were a Jew in first century Israel, you did whatever it took to try to see if your kid was good enough to come into an apprenticeship or a discipleship role with a rabbi. And if he did well, after years of apprenticeship, he'd become a rabbi himself. But how it worked was you had to prove, you know, even before you were the age of 13, that you were smart, that you were witty, that you could retain, that you could memorize the entirety of the first five books of the Jewish Bible, which is our first five. I mean, you had to be really good. There was, there was so much performance involved. And if a rabbi saw that you were good enough, he would be the one that would go to you and ask you to come into a discipleship or an apprenticeship. But what we see on the Sea of Galilee is these fishermen never asked to study under Rabbi Jesus or teacher Jesus. Speaking of Jesus, you know, he was referred to as a rabbi or a teacher by what he began to speak in Israel uh, of one having authority. But what we see here is the rabbi, Jesus, or the teacher, Jesus, went after these uneducated and untrained fishermen on the Sea of Galilee and asked them to come follow him. They didn't ask him. They didn't try to make themselves look good and approach a rabbi. Rabbi, teacher, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee and he approached these young fishermen and he said, come follow me. Come be my apprentice. Come be my disciple." This was so countercultural at the time that a rabbi would ever ask a prospective student to come be their disciple without any schooling or any training. And it never would have been a working class blue collar fisherman. That would have never happened in Jewish culture that a rabbi would pick someone like this. But this is exactly what Jesus did. And I've said it a few times, but the word disciple which you and I are if we're followers of Jesus. All it means is learner or student. And the closest word that we have that probably describes disciple is one that I've already said is apprentice. This idea of apprenticeship. So if we call ourselves believers or followers of Jesus, or in other words, disciples, what that means or what it's supposed to mean is that we are students under our rabbi and our rabbi is Jesus. He's our teacher. He's our master. And we are in what you would call an apprenticeship with Jesus as disciples. We learn what he learns. We do what he does. And in Jewish culture, as students of a rabbi, you would emulate even mannerisms of your rabbi. So much so that your hope was that when you were walking around Jerusalem or in Galilee and you were, you were um, exercising your Jewish faith, people would know, oh, do you study under rabbi so-and-so? Because you seem to, to do the same things he does. Your goal, the goal of of an apprentice to a rabbi in Jewish culture was to emulate the rabbi in such a way that you, that you emulated his, his interpretation of the law, that you copied the way that he spoke, the way that he talked to people, the way that he worshiped God. I mean, everything was supposed to come under the way in which he lived his life. 
And in the same way, as disciples of Jesus, we too are to emulate him. We're to, we're to be seen as Christians, right? Christians are little Christs. Our lives are to look like Christ's life because he's our teacher or he's our rabbi. This is what our text is getting at this morning. We see that the king is ushering in the kingdom and he's calling the first servants into that kingdom. That's the scene that we see in our text this morning. And knowing kind of what the text says, there's three things I want to leave us with, or I want us to, for application-wise to, to, to gain from this text. Three things are to know the king, that we, all of us, would know the king, that we'd understand the kingdom and we'd live as servants. This is what I mean by that. The question that we need to ask ourselves in the room this morning is, have we received the message that Jesus is preaching? Have we repented of our own sins? Have we turned to God? Have we laid down our nets, so to speak, like those fishermen on the Sea of Galilee? Have we, myself included, you guys, have we responded to the good news of Jesus Christ? Do we see him as king? Do we see him as the savior of the world? Another way you could put it, have you given your life to Christ? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? Because that's the, that's, the, that's the first thing, that's the first place we need to start in. Do we recognize Jesus Christ as the son of God, the savior of the world, and have we responded to him in such a way that we've said, yes, Lord, I follow you. I've repented of my own sins. I've laid down my old life. And now my life is now hidden with you. Have we done that? And also to maybe tease it out a little bit more. The question for those of us that have given our life to the Lord is, maybe are, are we partially still holding on to some of our net? You know, the fishermen laid down their net entirely and followed the Lord. And what I mean by that is that are there areas in our life that we maybe fully haven't surrendered to Jesus, that we fully haven't given up? They're like, hey, Lord, I'll follow you and you're good and I, I want to go to heaven. And yep, the way I was living my life wasn't good, but I'm following you. But are we still holding on to some of our old life? Are we still trying to follow Jesus and live our own story? Or are we coming under the reign of the king? For me, I put my faith in Christ when I was in junior high. Uh, I didn't go to church growing up, knew nothing about church. My parents weren't Christians. But a friend of mine one, uh, one day said, he, he, was, he was a Christian. He said, hey, you, you, should, you, should, you should accept Jesus because he's coming back again. And I'm like in seventh grade. I'm like, Jesus is coming back again? When did he come the first time? Like, when did he come the first time? I don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus is just this like historical figure that I don't know anything about. What are you saying that he's coming a second time? He's like, okay, well, I don't really know how to explain it to you, but come to this like event, right? And my friend brings me to this outreach event and the gospel is preached. The good news of Jesus is preached. And I did not understand most of what was being said, but... I did know that, man, I, I need to know Jesus. 
and this is right. And it was, you know, the Holy Spirit moving. And I gave myself, I gave, I came up to the front and did the whole, you know, prayer thing. And I remember praying the prayer and I remember like accepting Jesus as Lord. It was like a decisive moment. It doesn't have to be a decisive moment, but it was for me. And I remember the first thing that I said, you know, literally we're praying with these people. It's like this really cool moment. And I said, doesn't mean I have to go to church, right? Like, I'm good with Jesus, but it doesn't mean that I have to go to church every Sunday, which is ironic that God used me to start a church, and I'm up here every Sunday, and I love the church now. I love it. But that was my first response, like, hey, I'll, I'll, I want Jesus because I want heaven, but can I just, like, keep my life the same? This is at 13 years old. I just didn't want to go to church because I had this already this connotation of, like, why am I going to church on Sunday mornings? Are you crazy? Like, why can't I have Jesus and just, I'm good? <sighs> But anyway, for me, that was my decisive moment. That was the time where I put my faith in Christ and I started to follow him. And it was a start, right? Because we're in a process. We're on a journey with the Lord and he's writing the story. But the second thing, living under God's rule and God's reign is that we need to understand the kingdom. And so the questions that we should ask ourselves is like, do we see the world the way that God sees it? Or are we aware that God is building his kingdom in the city of Honolulu? Are we even aware of that? Or are we just so caught up with our own story that we're missing the story that God is writing? Or to use this kingdom analogy, or are we just kind of building our own kingdom, our own stuff, House, car, family, business. Not that those things are bad, but we can get really caught up with just building our own kingdom and forgetting entirely that God is building this kingdom on the earth and his rule and reign is, is upon us. It's here, but not yet. But God is redeeming and restoring humanity around us. And so many times we're just like, like so caught up with our own little story and our own little kingdom that we fail to remember that God is on the throne and he's ruling and reigning and his kingdom is going forth on this island, in this town. And we're, we're a part of it. Like, like Reality Honolulu, this little church that just started like three weeks ago, we're a part of the tangible building of God's kingdom. God's been doing it here for a long time and we're, we're coming in alongside how God's already been moving. But God is building his kingdom and, and, and he's on the throne, and we see that because we're all testimonies of that. We've been saved. We've been set free. We've been redeemed. And God is continuing to do that. But this, this, this concept challenges our worldview, right? It should change the way we think and act and do everything. If God's building the kingdom, it's actually not really about me. It's about God. And for me... Even though I might have said the prayer and came to know Jesus when I was 13 years old and got plugged into church, I did, I went to church, got plugged into the youth group in middle school and high school and, uh, you know, began serving, you know, as a leader in the high school, high school group. And it wasn't until about when I was 20 that I really understood and grasped God's kingdom and, and, and how it was not about me. Because what happens is, obviously, when you're in high school and out of high school, the pressure is, what are you going to do in your life, right? Where are you going to go to school? Because you got to figure out where you're going to get a job and then when you're going to do forever. And pretty much like at 16 years old, you need to figure out what you're going to do till retirement. That's what, that's what the pressure 
or maybe even before 16, like sophomore year. But, but now it's like, what private school do you put your kid in in kindergarten so they can get to, like, seriously. The pressure to figure out your whole life to build your own kingdom is just upon us. And for me, even though I knew the Lord, I got really wrapped up in my 5, 10, 20, 30-year plan. And I began to compartmentalize. I'm like, hey, God, you can have this, but this is what I'm going to do. And so if you're good with it, I'm just going to go for it. And I started praying differently. I said, God, this is what I want to do. Let it be. Instead of, God, what do you want to do? I'll do whatever you want to do. And I had this decisive moment where I was in college and I was pursuing careers and I was doing like all that I could to pursue my own stuff. And then uh, at Reality Carpinteria, uh, just south of Santa Barbara, um, where Reality came from and was, was burst out of, uh, Pastor Britt and one of the other pastors sat me down and said, hey, we want, to, want you to pray about being the, the middle school and high school pastor here at Reality. And the first thing was like, well, that doesn't fit in my plan. That doesn't fit in my story. Like, I've got my five, 10-year plan, and that doesn't, that doesn't work. But I knew that it was ultimately God asking that question, and, and I really wrestled with it. I wrestled with coming under God's will and not my own. And ultimately, I'm glad that I obeyed. And uh, 21 at the time, took me a little while, but I knew that I was supposed to lay everything down and go into full-time ministry. And now, now I'm here, uh, like 11 years later. Um, but, but I had to lay down my own story in my own kingdom for the sake of his kingdom and what he was doing. And it by far was better than my own. It was better and it was right because he's King Jesus and he knows what he's doing. He's the king that sits on the throne that is out outside of time and space that desires so much more than what I had in mind in my little five to 10 year plan. He desires for all of humanity to come under the rule of reign of Christ and for every tongue, tribe, and nation to come to know Jesus Christ. I mean, that's his story that he's writing. And the last thing that's just so important that we as believers get is, is how to live as servants under the king in the kingdom. And what I mean by that is, are we aware of our role as disciples? Are we aware of what we're supposed to do, like on a personal level and on a, on a, a service level? What I mean by that is thinking back to those Galilean fishermen, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, coming under the apprenticeship of Jesus, right? Their lives were supposed to change and they would change, right? They would learn uh, from, from Jesus. They would see how Jesus uh, acted. They would, they would learn that their lives are not supposed to look like their old life or the ways of the world. And so we too are supposed to continue to look like Jesus. This process, big word, but it's sanctification. The process from the time that you give your life to Christ until we see him in glory, whether he comes back or we die. We're in a process of sanctification. What that means is we're in a process of becoming more like Jesus. Our lives are to look a lot less like our own lives, and they're supposed to look like Jesus' life. The way we think, the way we act, the way we respond to people. I mean, the way in which we live our entirety of our life is to look the way that Jesus lived his own life. He's our example. We look to him 
uh, to know what to do. We emulate our teacher or our rabbi, so to speak. We lay down our nets, we lay down our lives, and we follow him. The Bible would use this term image bearers. We bear, or we're supposed to bear the image of God. We were designed that way, actually in the garden. First few chapters of Genesis, we see that humanity was created in God's image. Sin entered the world. It distorted that. So our lives no longer look like God. But Jesus came to restore that relationship so that we can be in a process to become like God as image bearers. That's the kingdom of God that he restores and redeems and sets right what he intended for humanity. But we need to ask ourselves, like, do we understand our roles as disciples on a service level? What I mean by that is, see, God doesn't choose to just have his kingdom come outside of using his people. If we look at scripture, if we're aware of church history at all, God builds his church through his people. He doesn't work independently outside of that. He calls, anoints, and uses sinners like Peter and and James and John and Andrew and like you and I to build his kingdom in this fallen world. He invites us in. He gives us the privilege and honor to co-labor with him in the building of his kingdom. He works through us for his kingdom to go forth. See, God is on the move. And we have the good news. Like we have the good news of Jesus Christ. It's changed us personally. And now we're to go and tell others about this news. Like that's the whole point. And if you think about it, these 12 disciples that Jesus spent three years with would go forth. And the reason why we are in this room knowing the good news is because one of these fishermen. Ultimately, the disciples of Jesus, these first 12, would then go forth and then others would be saved, and then the gospel would go forth, and now it's reached all the way in Hawaii. Because the kingdom of God has been worked out through God's people. And so the question that we need to ask is, are we participants in that? Or are we just like on the sideline, on the bench, and like other people are serving Jesus, other people are talking about Jesus at their workplace? I'm not going to do that. But, but we're all called into that as sons and daughters, as disciples, as followers, as apprentices of Jesus, were to come under and be a part of God's kingdom going forth. That's true of us as a church. Like that's our desire that God would build his church in this city and on this island for his glory. And again, it doesn't mean just like build a big building and let's do these stuff. It's change hearts, redeem hearts, people freed from the bondage of sin. That's what it means. But we should ask ourselves is, how are we serving in God's kingdom? How are we like giving towards God's kingdom? I'm just, time, talent, and treasure is what I mean. God's given us so much, right? And all that we have isn't ours. Even if you think, oh, I worked for it. It's like, well, God allowed you to work and he gave you it ultimately. And so what are we doing with these things that God gives us? Are we, are we giving it towards the kingdom? Are we, are we using it for his glory, for his kingdom expanding, or are we just building our own kingdom? How are we serving in God's kingdom? How are we giving towards God's kingdom? And lastly, and I think most importantly, is are we praying for God's kingdom to come? 
Like, are we praying that God would move and save lives? Are we getting on our knees and are we like beseeching the Lord and like laboring in prayer for those that don't know him to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus actually gave us a a model prayer to pray, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus gave this incredible sermon, the longest sermon that we have recorded that's his. And he taught us how to pray. And this is how he said that as Christians, we should pray. I have it on the screen, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church, brothers and sisters, believers, fellow disciples and followers, I beg of you, let us be a people that are about, that's about kingdom business. That don't want to build our own stories, but want to be a part of God's story. That we would be a people with our time and our talent and our treasure that say, God, your will be done, not mine. My prayer for us this morning is that Reality Honolulu would be a church that is a part of God's kingdom going forth in this great city. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so humbled and in awe that a king would die for us. You didn't ask us to die for you. You died in our place. And that is such cause to worship this morning. That while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. While we were, while we were in rebellion to you, you came to rescue us. Lord, that you would... <clears throat> Change our hearts, change our perspective, change our worldview of this world that we live in. Pray that we'd have a greater view of you as king, that we would understand that we are part of the building of your kingdom and that individually and corporately as a church that we would participate in the building of your kingdom. Would you make us a people that pray? Would you make us a people that give and serve and participate in seeing your kingdom go forth in Honolulu as it is in heaven? We love you, Lord. We ask that you would be glorified and magnified and exalted in our time of worship now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.